the fastest way to stunt the organization, I believe, is to assume that you're the smartest guy in the room, girl in the room, assume that you have the capabilities and, and abilities to do everything that needs to be done because none of us do. We have to surround ourselves with people with complementary skills, but a cohesive culture. Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first want to thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I hope you enjoy this message. Let's go make it count. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 67 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. Our goal on this show is to help you become the type of leader that inspires others to be their best. No matter where you are in your leadership journey, whether you're just starting out or whether you're a seasoned leader, we want to help you get to that next level. And we do that by bringing on amazing guests with awesome leadership experiences and leadership insights that you can go and apply right away to your leadership. Today, I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Dr. Gavin Adams. Really, of all the episodes that we've done, I think this has to be near the top in terms of practical takeaways for you and your leadership. Gavin took over a church of about 250 members. It was struggling. And over the course of 10 years, he helped lead this church to now have over 8,000 weekly attendees, which is just incredible. So in this episode, we dig into how you can take over an organization, what you can focus on if you want to turn your organization around, how to create a vision, how to grow an organization. We also talk about Andy Stanley, who's a pretty well-known pastor out of Atlanta, who Gavin has worked with for the past 10 years. He gives us his, his, his impressions of working with Andy from a very close level. We also get into his very specific framework for thinking about delegation, his four levels of delegation, something you can go and apply right away. Hey, if you're new to this show, I want to say thank you for being here. We release a new episode every two weeks, and it's my hope that you will walk away with some practical leadership tips every time that we get together. If you want to make sure you get episodes and they come straight to you every two weeks, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, a big thank you to all of you that continue to share this podcast and help us grow. And also thank you to all of you that have rated or reviewed this on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get exposure to new people across the world. I'm amazed at how much we're growing, not just in the US, but abroad. So thank you for all of you that have taken those few minutes just to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or have written a written review. That really helps us grow. Also, please consider becoming a patron of Intentional Leader. You can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Cal Walters to become a monthly patron. You give a dollar, five dollars. You could help <laughs> help us buy coffee and stay motivated when we're doing this late at night or early in the morning. We also really have a passionate and ambitious goal on this show and on this organization. So your support, financial resources really help us get to that next level. So thank you to all of you that have partnered with us on Patreon. Also consider joining the Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook. This is just a place where you can get resources, debate leadership ideas, share struggles with other passionate leaders. So go check out the Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook. You can find links to both the Patreon page and the Intentional Leader Lab in the show notes of this episode. Today's episode is 
sponsored by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. That's what they do. They really focus on your people, your processes, and your technology, which ultimately helps you become an even better organization. Go visit higherechelon.com to connect with Dr. Joe Ross and the amazing team at Higher Echelon and to learn more about how they can help you and your team today. I'm really excited for you all to hear this conversation with Dr. Gavin Adams. To go see his full bio and connect with his company, Transformation Solutions, just check out the show notes for this episode at calwalters.me. And without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the great Dr. Gavin Adams. All right, Gavin Adams, welcome to the show. Hey, Cal. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so pumped to have you here. I discovered you when I was listening to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Yes. Uh, probably, man, maybe been four or five years ago. I was running on the beach and I was just, I think I was binging Andy's podcast and I came across this delegation dilemma. And I literally stopped on the beach, pulled out a note and started writing down your framework because it was so practical. And so I'm really excited to, to hear more about that. We'll dig into that. But, but I wanted to start, tell us a little bit about this church experience where my understanding is you went to a church and I don't want to put a label on it, but I, my understanding is it was kind of, kind of struggling, maybe underperforming and feel free to correct. Those are, those are good labels. Yes. Okay. Can, yeah. um, so you get there and then, so tell us about what it was like when you got there and then how sure. over the next couple of years you were able to help move that into a better place. Yeah, no problem. Um, and I'm sorry for ruining your beach run. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was a church name. It was called Watermark Church. Um, it has a new name now, uh, Woodstock City Church. That, that's the name of our church currently. Um, Watermark Church um, was established in 2005. The lead pastor uh, who founded it um, was there only for about nine months. Uh, had to leave for some different reasons, uh, family reasons, um, good things. Um, left it in charge with the group's director who became the new senior pastor, uh, one of those incredible people I've ever met, and uh, but also a, a really great number two leader um, and wanted to be a number two leader, uh, but at the same time was kind of thrust into that role. And so um, really in that kind of leadership vacuum that existed, things never go well, right? I mean, w- without leadership, things begin to crumble. And that was what was happening here. It, it was a, a church with lots of, of potential and a community that desperately uh, needed a church like ours. At the same time, it was being led by someone who loved the local church and loved the community, but just did not really love being a point leader. So I had an opportunity to step into that role. Uh, so I was the third lead pastor at the church in the first three years of the church's existence. So that that gives you an idea of, of the change in, in turmoil. So it was easy to remember my very first Sunday, we had uh, almost as many people in the building as we had money in the bank. We had um, about 250 or so people. Uh, in the building, adults, children, students, and uh, we had $400 in the bank my very first Sunday. Okay. I remember thinking if we all could just give a couple of dollars, we'd, we'd be in better shape, you know, so double the bank account. So it was a bit of an auspicious start, but at the same time, I'm really grateful that I got to kind of go from watching on the sidelines in a way to st- standing in the middle of the arena and trying to figure out how do you, I didn't have the word back then, but how do you revitalize a local church and how do you 
how do you completely change a culture to become, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a competitive guy, an athlete in my past and spent 10 years in the marketplace. So I may use some terms that aren't churchy, but how do you, um, how do you kind of catalyze a culture to become a winning culture? And how do you, how do you energize the people around it to create raving fans for what we're doing? Not only so that they'll engage with their hearts and their hands and their resources, but so they'll invite their friends and that their community can begin to look better and look different. So it was quite a challenge. Um, you know, Cal, I won't bore you with all the details, but um, we, we began making incremental changes day one. I did not know what we were doing. I didn't realize we were transforming the entire culture and the entire organization. I just thought we were trying to make a church service better, you know, week two versus week one. But but ultimately what happened is all of those incremental changes added up to incremental wins that accumulated in a direction. And the direction we were heading ultimately transformed who we were. And so, you know, a year in, we were able to change locations. We had to launch a capital campaign, you know, at $400 my first Sunday. And then two months in, we're trying to raise $100,000, which is crazy. Wow. But um, we were able to move locations. We were still 100% portable church. If you've ever been a part of those, I bet some of your listeners have been in or are in those. Those are interesting days, um, but they're what, fun. Days. What is that? I don't know what that. Uh, a portable yeah, a portable, church? A portable church location is a church that doesn't own any property or a building. Okay. So we're meeting in a school. Lots of churches start this way, meeting in theaters, you know, different event centers. We were meeting in a school. And so we were loading in everything for Sunday and loading it out after Sunday ended. So it was quite complex to even the orchestration of that, but some really great things happened. Two years in, we we jokingly say we were hostily taken over, but we uh, agreed to become a campus location of North Point Ministries. You mentioned Andy Stanley. He's the leader of this network of campus locations. There's seven of us in North Atlanta. So we became a campus of that. We were the fourth campus of North Point Ministries. Uh, and that happened a decade ago. That happened in 2011, January of 2011, Cal. So and we've since grown to, um, you know, an organization of about, um, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, I guess. So it's hard to tell. We're, we may have 10 people some days, right? But uh, right before we were having, you know, eight-ish thousand uh, a weekend, uh, about 40,000 on our active roster. Um, so we're a pretty big church. We have 60 plus staff members. We just brought on 19 interns last week. So we're a big organization, uh, yet I think we operate pretty relationally and connected local community. So. Well, how's that, Cal? That's uh, a, that, a revitalization story in that's, that's five minutes. Two fifty to eight thousand. Yeah, over, and that was over about ten years. You said, yeah, 10, twelve years total. Yeah, okay. twelve years total. Yeah. So I want to unpack some of that. Okay, so let's start yeah. with, let's say you're a leader, you come into a, a struggling organization. Right. What would you offer leaders out there to really focus on? Because I can imagine you, as a leader, you're coming in. There's just so much that yep. you want to, you could focus on. Mm -hmm. But to a certain extent, you talked about little little micro wins, little, little right. small incremental steps. What would you offer to leaders to, to kind of start moving in a better direction? Well, there's two things we did, and I would like to say that I was so strategic, I thought through it, but it's more of an accidental success story in some respects. But the two things we did, and I think we did this very well, we established an absolute clear vision of the preferable future. Now, we didn't know all the details and the strategies to get there yet, but we did know where we wanted to go. I think that was fundamentally necessary so that we could begin to move in that direction and we could offload the people who don't want to go. Um, we lost you know, several families in my first month. I grew the church smaller first because we established such a clear vision 
that people who didn't love the vision left. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I would rather not have the disgruntled people around. So that's a good thing. Any tips um, on any tips on how to do that? I mean, I'm sure to, on the vision side, just how to, yeah, where to start. How do you, how do you create a vision? Yeah. You know, because, a vision is unique, right? It's not the mission. It's not the strategy. You know, the mission is what we want to do. The vision is the preferable picture of if, if we get everything right, even though we don't know what things all are yet, if we get things right, this is who we will become. This is what will happen. So for instance, our mission, I mean, sorry, our vision was to create a church unchurched people fell in love with. That was our vision. So it became the lens through which everything was filtered. And there were people who didn't want to do that. So they found a different church and that was fine because I didn't want the disgruntled people working against the vision. So for us, it was this picture. And really that's what a vision is. I think it's a very clear picture of what could be and what should be. And then what you need to do is begin to paint people into that picture. And that's what we did next. We began to establish that picture through really these small incremental changes that led to incremental wins. They're very small in the beginning, but they accumulate because you can't go from where you are across a chasm to that new vision in one step. It may be 50 steps. It may be 5,000 steps, depending on the gap, right? Depending on how far that chasm has grown. For us, it was pretty big. So we, we couldn't get there in one step. It was going to take lots of steps. And that's what those small changes were. They were just the next best thing to do to move us from where we were to the vision of where we wanted to go. So like you, your question about younger leaders or newer leaders thinking about that, figuring out that vision is step one. And the next step literally is taking the next logical step towards it. And it may be very small, but it, it, it feels visually like you know a ladder or, or, or a set of stairs, a flight, multiple flights of stairs potentially. But all you need to do is take the next one. And then you, you take it and then you look at the next step. And eventually those steps accumulate. And you know how this works. Incremental change over time is what really moves the needle. Absolutely. And so trying to do all of it at once is a recipe for failure. Um, but leading the, the organization and then individuals in the organization, that's the thing we often miss. But helping the people around us take those next steps and, then, and understand why those next steps are so important. Letting them participate in those changes in and celebrating those those wins. I mean, one last thing, Cal, we, in the beginning, we celebrated those small incremental wins like we won the lottery. And they weren't big, but we made a big deal of them. And the reason is we, you know, we know that what's rewarded gets repeated. So let's reward like crazy these things so that we keep moving in that direction. And, you know, over time, that's what happened. What's an example of one of those small incremental steps that you guys were taking at the very beginning? Yeah. Well, you know, a great one for us is uh, my first Sunday. We, you know, as a church, we have music. Um, the music, we had no money. We, we couldn't afford great equipment, great musicians, nothing about it. Uh, and it wasn't anybody's fault. We just didn't have the funding. Um, so we tried to fix some of that as quickly as we could and bring in musicians that we could pay a little bit. Now, that's not a normal thing for every church, but we wanted to do that. Um, and we added a few musicians who were really talented and it immediately changed the culture of our music and our worship, which, and it wasn't as good as it was going to be, but it was a directional step towards what could be. And it started painting a picture so people could see what you were talking about. I mean, that's the thing with vision. You can explain it all you want, but people need to see it as yeah. well, right? Because what moves people isn't just vision, it's vision plus action. 
When they're seeing the vision start coming to life, that's what's exciting. So that's one. I mean, I could give you several, but that's an example of, of just one. And then you also experienced incredible growth. So you talked yes. a little bit about some a leader I go into a new organization. What do I think about? What do I do? Vision, yeah. incremental steps. What about growth? Any yeah. tips for if you're a leader, you're trying to grow your organization, yes. what are some things you should focus on? Well, the fastest way to stunt your organization, and we're going to talk a lot more about delegation in a second, Cal, but the fastest way to stunt the organization, I believe, is to assume that you're the smartest guy in the room, girl in the room. Assume that you have the capabilities and, and abilities to do everything that needs to be done because none of us do. We have to surround ourselves with people with complementary skills, but a cohesive culture. Those are very important, right? We want to have a, a diversity of skill set and ability set, but a homogenous desire for the vision so the culture remains intact. Um, and, and then the other thing that we did, and I think every leader should consider this, we still think this way. It's impossible to get to where you want to go in growth. If you're not thinking with the end in mind and trying to design the organization with the end in mind. So when we had a couple hundred people, we, we literally Cal drew an org chart out of a church of a thousand attenders. Oh, wow. And we placed, my name was in seven different, you know, buckets right on the org chart. But what it did is it gave us a picture of the structure we would probably need as we began to grow. And then as we started growing, it gave us really clear picture on of who to hire and what what different categories of people we needed and what jobs we needed to replace ourselves in. So eventually we got to where our name was only in one box, not in six, seven, eight, 10 boxes. So I think drawing those org charts ahead of time, because you can't grow if you're if you're stuck in the present, you have to think about the future. You have to think about the organization of the future, the structure of the future, uh, your meetings in the future. So beginning to kind of think bigger than you are is what I think allows you to become bigger than you are. Leaders who can't think beyond today can never get to tomorrow. That is so good. I love the practical aspect of literally seeing the org chart with what, yes. what could be, because you're right. So many, some people I think get can picture a vision easier than others, but there are a lot of us who are not visionaries. And right. to your point, we need to see a little bit of action, but that's one way to, even for those that maybe struggle with seeing a vision because they have other mm-hmm. gifts mm-hmm. to just seeing, Hey, this is where we're going to go. And here's, yep. here's, here's what it's going to look like. And here's what we're trying to fill here. Are the skill sets. I love that. That's a very, and it's not that complicated. It sounds like it could be, if you're trying sure. to do it in a vacuum, it would be really difficult. But I mean, the reality is that there is an organization either in your industry or similar industry that has an org chart bigger than yours. Yeah. I mean, go look at it, you know, ask for a copy of it. This is what we did. You know, I wouldn't ask for a few churches to give me an org chart because they were a lot larger than we were. And we, we looked at it. We thought about our model, our industry, the way that we do things, our style, but we kind of synthesized what we were seeing in these other org charts. And it allowed us to develop what we believed would be. And and we were flexible. We, We weren't, locked in. It wasn't written in stone, but it gave us a practical thing to work towards, not just a, uh, that's the problem with with the vision at times. Visions sound really pithy and they are portable and memorable, but how do you actually, you know, put it on paper? Yeah. So that's a version of how we did that. Yeah. I, I, you mentioned, oh, I didn't, maybe I mentioned Andy. I did. I did mention Andy. Um, yeah. So I want to ask you about Andy. I he's a leader that I learned mm-hmm. about. My wife actually is actually from Cumming, Georgia. Yeah. So we went to North Point one Sunday. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Heard him speak. 
really, really appreciated his way of communicating and since have become a big Andy Stanley fan, just like so many other people Uh, love his leadership podcast, love the way he communicates, but you've worked with him for a long time. And uh, I'm curious from your perspective, what, what have you learned most from Andy? What stands out to you most about him as a leader? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I've got I've got 10 years of sitting in leadership team with him and leading alongside of him for that decade. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot. If I tried to boil it all down, in just a couple of things, Cal. Um, Andy is an un, unbelievable at what he does, and the reason is that he is incredible at preparation. Mm. Um, I think I think we all probably know this that anytime something looks easy, it's because somebody has worked really hard at it. Andy makes things like preaching, leadership, communication, things like that. He makes it look so effortless. And the reason is he has lots and lots and lots of time uh, behind the curtain, not out in front, uh, in preparation. So he's taught me that. Um, you know, he he even has days that he is spending bulks of time preparing for meetings that are coming up the following week. So everything takes preparation. And the better prepared you are, the better everything in the organization will go. So his preparation is incredible. Um, one more thing I'll say too, and, and this is a, I mean, he has a book that he's written on this and it's a kind of a, a, a you know, bottom line catchphrase, but you know, direction, not intention is what determines our destination. And I think sometimes we, and I've learned that from him by watching him and then learning to lead that way, that we all have great intentions, mm-hmm. whether it's personal leadership, organizational leadership, but our intentions are relatively irrelevant. Uh, it really is our daily direction that is going to determine the destination. I guess this is probably why he does the preparation the way he does. He knows that all that preparation is directional, and it is what will ultimately determine the destination of himself, of his family, of the organization. And so I could go on and on. I mean, he's an unbelievable leader to work for, um, one of the most humble leaders I've ever been around, um, and about as normal as you get for a guy of his influence in our industry. And I don't mean that as a degradation to the other people in the in the in the church industry, but you know you can get weird real quick when yeah. you're on a stage with a mic on and lights For are sure. on you, and everybody tells you that you're amazing. It's mm-hmm. hard not to allow that to influence how you think about yourself. Yeah, Andy, I'm sure. Andy doesn't listen to that. It's it's pretty incredible. I wanted to ask you too. Next, we're going to get into delegation, but yeah, sure. one question I had for you. That, that hit me as I was preparing you, you did lead this organization through such a rapid, well, not, ra- not necessarily rapid. It was rapid at times, but over, broke. over, yeah. over 10 years, I mean, that's a lot of growth consistently. Mm-hmm. How did you avoid burnout? How, how did you sustain yourself throughout that period of time? Yeah. Well, I don't, I will first tell you, I did not avoid it completely. The way that I learned to avoid it was by going through it and having to figure it out. I wish that I had understood the propensity for it and put some things in place so that it wouldn't happen before it did. But I went through a really tough season five years ago, five years into our becoming a campus. I mean, we had grown at that point. We had just moved into our first permanent facility. We had, you know, gone from a few hundred people to 5,000 attending on a Sunday in a portable church building. So setting up an entire school, every inch of it for church on Sunday. I mean, it was overwhelming. And we moved into our first building and a couple of months in, we had already doubled in size again. So that was, it was a recipe for burnout. So I learned a couple of things. Um, 
And I think this is true for everybody. Um, I want to say there's a guy, there's a pastor in, in uh, California, Rick Warren. He's a pretty, pretty famous guy. Um, I think this came from him. I'm gonna, I'll give him credit, but it came from somebody other than me. Um, the idea that we should divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Mm. I love that thinking. Every day, finding a way to just put it all down and do something that is uh, refreshing or is replenishing for you. So for me, I love working out. I go to the gym almost every day. Uh, I mean, I, I like the fact that it probably makes me a little more healthy, but it does more for me mentally, emotionally than it does physically. Yeah. Uh, every week, I try to I try to take Saturday to do nothing work-related. It's at least one day where I can just focus on family, on fun, on getting away from the laptop and all the people and all the complaining, all that stuff. And then abandoning annually, my wife and I, now granted, our kids are a little older now. We have an ability to do this. It's a little easier. But uh, I mean, we just went on a five-day or four-day trip together to the beach, just us. And I, don't, I didn't open my laptop for four or five days. Mm. You know, did no work. Just read, sat with her, went to dinners. It was wonderful. I think those things um, are a part of it. And so figuring out what our unique replenishment cycles are, you can think of it like, it's like the gauges on your car. And if we all know what our gauges are and we can find ourselves before they get to empty, when we see them trending in a direction to immediately know that's worth paying attention to, and then implementing these things, I won't give you all of mine, but having those things that you know replenish you and this unique to all of us, mine wouldn't be yours, but knowing what those things are, I think is what keeps us healthy and allows us to continually stay engaged. That's really good. Can you say that one more time The divert daily? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, yeah, withdraw, sorry, yeah, yeah, divert daily, um, withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Okay, so it sounds like for you that means divert daily is get a workout in every day as, as often as you can. Yep. Weekly, you're taking a day. You're taking Saturday, it sounds yep. like. Yep. And then I mean, Saturday, the Sundays are tough. I'm, I'm at yeah. work. <laughs> That's not a good time. Yeah. Not, not taking Sundays off as a pastor. I, right. always, I always can right. always really appreciate the pastors yep. in my life for, for yeah. the weekends or not weekends. Um, no, they're not. And then, and then getting away annually. That's really good. How yeah. do you, one question, uh, how do you help your team do that? Cause I, I think it's one thing as a leader yeah. to, to make sure you're, you're sustaining yourself. Do you have, have you been able to kind of help your team do that as well? Yeah, I have. And I don't think I did a good job of that early on because I wasn't doing a good job of it. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important thing we can do as a leader is display the behaviors that are, that keep people healthy. And so, you know, it, it's walking the talk, right? I, I, I can't say that we should all be diverting daily if I'm working 14 hours a day and never taking a break from it. Um, so I kind of, make that more public. I try to let people know uh, when I'm not going to be available like Saturday or when I'm going to be gone telling our team, hey, I'm gone for the next five days on a vacation. So I hope things go well. I'll find out when I get back. So, you know, Cal, I think those things are pretty important. I think displaying them is probably the most powerful mechanism we have outside of teaching people the importance of it. You know, the other thing, Cal, is that I just think leaders sometimes, I, I struggle with this. I think leaders sometimes have a little bit of a God complex as well, where we think that if we don't, it won't. Like if we aren't the ones doing it, it's not going to happen. And if we don't do it now, we'll lose the chance. None of that's really true. I have yet to bump in in my 20 plus years of, 25 years now of leadership, marketplace and ministry. 
I've yet to have a time where I went away for a few hours or a few days and everything crumbled. I, 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 I learned early, you know, uh, too late though, but I wish I could go back and undo that. But I used to feel like it was all on my shoulders and that's so unhealthy because one, I don't have the capability, that I don't have the capability for everything on my shoulders. I'm not good at everything. I'm only good at a few things. Uh, and at the same time, um, I can't be good all the time because if I'm trying to do it all, all the time, my capacity isn't great enough. And eventually I'm just going to run out of juice. And so realizing that, you know, not to spiritualize it, Cal, but you know, I'm not God. And if I trust that he is actually in control of things, not me, it really frees me up to kind of pace this at a way that is more sustainable. That's such a good, that's a great segue into talking about delegation. Yeah. How do you, before we get into the specifics, how do you think about delegation? In other words, why is it, why is it important? Well, it's important. It's important for multiple, uh, uh, multiple reasons, some personally, organizationally, and then some just for the people around us. If we start with the people around us, I think delegation is incredibly important for, for our coworkers or our uh, people who are, are, are direct reports because delegating well to them helps create leaders. It's a leadership development strategy. It also helps keep leaders because great leaders are not going to stay in an organization if they're not able to lead within that organization. So leading within an organization um, requires delegation. And so for the people around you, it's important. Um, at the same time, I think for the organization, it's important because again, none of us probably as leaders want to lead something small enough to be managed alone. I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want our church to be big enough that I can manage all of it by myself. That's a pretty small organization. And, and, and I may not be the most capable leader. I feel like I'm okay. Other people may be a lot more capable, but none of those people are capable enough to lead an organization the size that they probably would like it to become. So we have to figure out a way to delegate, to grow the organization. And the other, and I mentioned this earlier a little bit, but I mean, it allows a leader to do what only we can do. No leader can do everything. None of us are gifted with every personality type, with every skill set. I mean, I, I, I know enough about accounting and finance to be dangerous. I don't want to do that. Um, so I better delegate those things. Otherwise, I'm going to be bogged down by the things that I'm weak in to the neglect of the strengths that I have. So delegation allows me to really live in the places, in, in, in the areas of things that I do best. So let's get into these four levels of delegation. Yes. Let's let's start with the first level. So yeah. let me just then, let me just say them real quick, and then we'll go through them. So the okay, first great. level, investigation. Second level, inform progress. Third level, inform results. And then the fourth level of ownership. So can you walk us through starting with investigation? What is that, and when do you use it? Yeah, no doubt. Let me also really quick back up and say that the reason we even have these four levels, this framework, is because I think I just found that when we say, uh, hey, here's a project, here's a task, you know, go do it, it's just so not specific. There's no clarity. There's no uh, timeliness to it. Um, it. It actually can do more harm than good because um, without the specificity around that delegation, it really is difficult for someone to be successful. So we kind of came up with these four levels of delegation to free leaders up to delegate well, and for the people receiving delegation to have a much better understanding of the expectation 
of the task of the project. So number one, at level one investigation, very simple. It's the most fundamentally basic version of delegation. Basically, I just want you to go find out some things, do some research, get some information, and then bring it back to me or bring it back to the team. Don't, don't do anything with what you're finding. Don't try to solve anything. Just go investigate. So that's, that's level one. Uh, the next level, informed progress. Um, this is where I would say to someone, hey, I've got a level two delegation. Here's what I want you to do. I've got a project, task, whatever it may be. Explain you know, why we're doing it, what's going on with it. And, and, and I, I don't want you to completely own it on your own. I, I want to have like a lot of regular conversations with you. Eventually, I do want you to, to take care of the project or, or the task. But I want to kind of walk with you through it, not because I want to micromanage it. This is important. I don't want to micromanage it, but I know that this is a pretty big task, or I, I know that this is something that might be a little bit beyond kind of your capability or your experience level so far. So I don't want as a leader to abdicate my leadership to you. So I'm going to be available to you. So keep me informed as you go, and then I'll help you if you need any help. So level two, informed progress. Uh, level three, next step, obviously informed results. This is a wonderful opportunity to give someone a project or a task, whatever it may be, with a lot of clarity on what needs to be done when we want to accomplish it. You work together on those kinds of conversations. But at level three, informed results, I don't need progress reports. Now, I'm available. If you need something from me, come ask. But if you don't, just run with it and let me know when it's all complete. Just let me know when it's done. So when the results are in, the project is done, come back to me and just let me know that it's done. Let me know what happened and where we are. That's I love that version. My favorite one, level four, this won't be surprising, we call it ownership. I love this one because it, 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 I kind of jokingly talk about like monkey management. I just wanna get the monkeys off my desk and I don't even really care where they go, just take care of the monkeys. So ownership is, here's a project, task, whatever, just take care of it. I don't even care how you do it. I don't care when you do it. I don't even I don't even need to know it's done. I'm just going to trust you that it's going to be taken care of. So for instance, you know, we we offer a, a preschool ministry in our church on Sunday morning. There are lots of things that have to happen well when you have I mean 800 preschool kids running around the church on a Sunday morning. Lots of security measures, lots of ratios in classrooms, all those things. I want all of that done really, really well. I don't want to be involved. I just, I just want other people to completely own it. So that's a level four delegation. Just take care of it. You don't even have to tell me. I'm just going to trust it's being taken care of. I love it. I love this, this, the framework. I love the idea of, of going from just everything is a task and, and we're not clear about what level of importance it is, what your role is, what my role is. So I love the way you've you've taken this just broad idea of delegation and put it into these categories. I can't remember, do you guys actually use these words when you're giving a task or is it it's just a great question. Yes. you're explaining it as you go? Yeah, both. Uh, I Early on in the organization here, we did use these, these terms. And the reason is that I really wanted to have common language. Common language is so critical to success in organizations. And so I wanted to have a little bit of common language around delegation. I mean, it's one thing to say to our uh, department directors and, and, and leaders, I want you to delegate. Okay, great. I mean, what does that even mean? So, and, and some are gonna do it well, some are gonna micromanage. I mean, 
it just is unhelpful, just like in delegation. It's unhelpful to delegate without clarity, without specifics. So by me saying, hey, just go delegate, it's like a bad delegation because there's nothing clear about it, right? There's nothing specific about it. So we would use these terms. You know, I would say, hey, this is a level one. I just want you to do this. This is a level three. I just want you to give me the results. Go take care of it. Now, eventually doing it enough, those things began to just ooze out of us. And so now when we're delegating, we don't as much feel like we need to say, this is a level three. I I think now we're able to say, hey, I want you to take care of this and I want you to let me know when it's done. You know, Cal, what's great is that the, the levels of delegation terminology, I think is mostly helpful for the delegator, not the delegatee. The delegate E, when they hear level three, they don't even know what that means necessarily. They need to know what to do. I need to know what a level three is. So I think what has happened with our leaders is that we have embraced the four levels. So there just isn't as much a need for us to explicitly say that. But what we are explicitly saying with great clarity is what we want them to do in the delegation. And in doing so, we basically are leveling it. One, two, three, four. How did your team react to this? Did they did they tend to appreciate it? Yes, everybody appreciated it. I think our leaders appreciated it because they, I think everybody wants to be good at delegation. I don't think any leader wants to be a micromanager, but without a framework, it's hard to strike the balance between not delegating anything and your leaders around you being frustrated. Because you know what, as a leader, if you think your direct reports don't notice that you're not delegating to them, they're all paying attention. Oh, yeah. And they all would and they all know what you're great at and they also know what you're not great at. They would love for you to give those things away. Mm-hmm. And they would love to help you. What I have found is the people who report to me want me to be successful. Like they they want to help me. So I think the people around us love the fact that we can delegate well. So yeah, our, our leaders have appreciated it. I think the people on the receiving end of the delegations appreciated it in a different way because now we're not just abdicating our leadership by telling them to do something without any help support. We're being very clear, but we're also bringing them into the process. You know, do you have margin to handle this? Here is my expectation. There's nothing worse in an organization or a marriage or in anything between an unmet expectation. You know, if I expect something and I experience something else, there's a gap there. And that gap tears apart trust. It does all sorts of damage to the organization. So when we're able to delegate with clarity to the people on the receiving end of a task or a project, we immediately create an an expectation and we allow them to speak into the expectation. So when we talk about timelines, for instance, you know, I don't just say I want this done tomorrow. I say, hey, when when do you think that maybe this could be done by? So it allows us to have a healthy expectation conversation which really helps gain and build trust. So that's so good. I, I, there's nothing more frustrating Well, there are a lot of things that probably might be more frustrating, but one of the things that is very frustrating is being a member of a team and you getting 10 tasks at the same time yes. with no clarity around when, when do you want this? Which one's more important? What yep. is my role in these tasks? And, and then that leads to, that leads to burnout. That leads to yes. overwhelm. That leads to just not feeling at all fulfilled at your job. Um, Gavin, actually <laughs> hearing you talk about the leader who doesn't delegate, I was asking one of my, one of my teammates for some feedback the other day, and I was so appreciative. She said, 
sir, it, it seems like to me that you, you do more than you should. And I was like, man, that is some good feedback. Here she is this very highly competent person. Uh, she's a leader on the team and she's saying, Hey, give me more stuff. And I started, it, it was, it was beautiful in two ways. One, I was able to feel the the liberty and freedom to unload a lot of stuff that was just on my back that probably right. didn't need to be. And then she felt, I, I made it very clear that I trust her, that, that I want her to be part. And she feels more ownership and it's just been amazing. It's been amazing. And I've been leading for, you know, 15 plus years. And I, and I think about this stuff all the time, but I still had fallen into that, trap of taking on too much. And so I, I think no matter how long you've been leading, no matter how much you think about this stuff, this is just a great way to constantly be assessing yourself. Like, okay, am I doing, am I, what you and Andy talked about on your podcast, am I doing what only I, I should be doing? Right. Well, and Cal, there's a legacy element of this too. We don't, I mean, I hope the things that I'm leading today outlast me and become better when I'm gone. I, I don't want uh, our church or the organizations that I'm a part of, or even the things I'm going to be a part of in the future. I, I don't want those things to, to, to do well while I'm there. And then the minute I'm gone, the whole thing falls apart because I was doing all of it and, and, and no one else was allowed to lead. No one else was given ownership. That's actually terrible leadership. And so even when I think about replacing myself and I think about giving things away, I mean, there's a little bit of a hesitancy, but what am I going to do? You know, well, well, I don't know. Do the things that you're best at doing, you know, focus more on those. I rarely hear leaders complain about having too much free time, too little to do. Right. Um, but we constantly hear people talk about how much they have to do. Well, just give some of that away. Figure out a way to trust other people with it. It's a it's a leadership development strategy. They're not going to get it all right all the time. And nor did we when we were younger leaders. So allow them to learn on the job, but but walk alongside of them not in a micromanaging way, in a healthy way to support yeah. them. And I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll grow incredible leaders in the organization and they'll stay with you because they can trust you because they know you're going to keep giving them opportunities to grow. And that's why people leave. People don't leave organizations, they leave bosses. And yeah. so figuring out a way to do that, it's, it's unbelievably helpful on multiple fronts, including the future. I want to go back just real quick to the four levels of delegation, just to make it real practical for people. I'm wondering if you could give us maybe just a quick example of what a task that that you may have just that cleanly fell in level one, cleanly fell in level two, cleanly fell in level three, four. Because I think sometimes, I mean, even this framework is super helpful, but there might be some leaders out there that are like, ah, you know, I don't really know, you know, what what's something that I might want someone to just go investigate because I. I'll tell you when I hear investigation, my brain, and this, this may be different from a lot of folks. My brain's like, Oh man, I, I don't want someone just to go investigate something for me. That almost seems like they would be offended by that. So I'm curious if you could just give me, give us one quick example for each of these levels so that folks sure. have that to think about when they, when they head out. So investigation, um, there are a lot of decisions that require, um, uh, a lot of information. And, and we're never going to have all the information. So we can't uh, refrain from making a decision, right? Lack of a decision is a decision. But um, for instance, in my you know world of church, uh, our music can be a little louder than some people love sometimes. When people complain about maybe the volume of music, I will delegate a level one investigation uh, to some of our team members. And I will ask them, hey, for the next three weeks, can you measure the decibels of the music throughout the peaks and valleys. And then after three weeks, come just give me the information, the, the data 
Now, the good news about it is it's not demeaning to those people. What they're actually going to get to do is participate with me in figuring out decisions. Because decision-making is also a complex leadership kind of initiative quandary that our younger leaders need to participate with us as we do it. We never need to make decisions you know, on our own in the office with the door shut and then announce them. So it's great. Investigations allow people to participate in a different way, though. And so yeah, that, yeah. you know, again, lots of examples of how and that they learn work. something and then yes. they're learning something, too. Yes. They're learning by by experiencing it alongside of you. Right. Um, I mean, let's you know, let's stick with that example. OK. In informed progress. Hey, we got the information back. I actually think we need to figure out how to mix the room better. The, the, the decibels aren't great. They probably need to be lowered a, a little bit. But I think it might be a little bit uh, of a mixing issue, not a total volume issue. So I'll tell you what I want you to do. Level two delegation. I would love for you to ensure that we are working over the next two weeks to adjust the mix in the auditorium, managing the decibels and the frequencies well. Let's kind of talk about it as you're doing it. And let's learn as we go to see if it's making a difference together. Level two, so level you're three. Involved, so you're you're involved in that as they're yes. doing it. Yeah. Let me know each week. We're going to do it for three weeks. At the end of each service, that's six services for us. Two services a week. At the end of each service, give me a progress report. What did you do? How did it change? What's the feedback? The other thing that's beautiful about this too is that it because so because communication is so critical in an organization leadership. It's it's making it very clear how much communication you expect because some leaders expect a lot of communication over certain tasks, and the other ones are like, I don't care. But this makes it very clear too. Hey, this is how often you and I can expect to talk about this. This is great. Exactly. Expectation. We talked about that earlier, right? Level three. If we stick with the same bad example, but I think it still works. Inform results. Hey, man, the music is not great. We need to fix this. You know, uh, how many weeks do you think it'll take for you to figure out the issues, close those gaps, and then put us on a better plane for, for moving forward? Um, three weeks, sounds great. Let me know at the end of three weeks that it's done so that I can tell the people who have been asking me about it. And so then they, the last one. They know to circle back. They know, hey, yeah. let me know when it's do done. This? Yes. Uh, are they going to ask you questions along the way? Like, is that, do they have kind of, per, I don't know, permission or for lack of a better word to that's ask? The, that's the big delineation between level two and three. Level two, okay. there's an expectation that we're going to be having conversations throughout. Okay. Level three, there's no expectation for conversations during, but I'm here if you need me. Got it. Okay. Because if you, if you walk away from that, you just abdicated leadership. You should never do that. Sure. So, I'm available if you need me. Yeah. If you need me to step in, if you need me to hire a company, if you need me to get a, a contractor in to help, let me know. Otherwise, just let me know when it's done. I trust that you can figure it out. And then level four, hey, the music's a problem. Please fix it. And when you do that, level four, because that seems like, I mean, that's kind of inching towards what I mean, you could say abdication because you're, um, obviously the context is everything. Um, sure. But- like what, what's going through your brain when you get to that level four? Is it that this person has proven themselves, they're competent? Like how, how do you filter that? Like, okay, I can, I can give this to this person and, and just know it's going to get done. Yes. hundred percent. I think, I think as people build trust in earlier levels of delegation, you feel more comfortable giving them the threes and fours over time. I think that's perfectly fair to think that way. Um, 
I also feel like, I mean, I said it in a callous way, right? With level four, I just take care of it. It's usually a little more complicated. It's, hey, this is an issue. Here's kind of what's going on behind it. I think you actually are the person to fix it. And by the way, that's a skill set I don't have. So I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of it. But let me know if I need to help in any way. If it's helping you bring somebody else in who's an expert. I mean, whatever I need to do, if I need to fund something out of a budget, let me know. Like, But I'm expecting you to own it and just take care of it. But if you need me, obviously, I'm always going to be here to help. But you don't have to come back. So, And in most cases, these level four delegations, they don't come back because they're so capable of taking care of the problem that they just take care of it. That's great. Well, there you go, folks. That's a really great way to think about delegation. I find it to be super helpful. This is actually something I would love to share with not just my team that I have, that I have the privilege to lead, but also my leadership, because this is just helpful even in my, because I'm kind of a middle manager my relationship with my boss, you know, just, and, and my, I might, I might even use this without using the terms of like, Hey, sir, you know, you, how much communication do you want on this? Do you, do you want to be involved? I just think this is a great way. So I encourage you guys to, to try this and see how it works in your organization. So Gavin, as we're wrapping up here, we only got a few Cal, minutes left. Leading upward, leading upward is a great thing that this allows you to do because yeah. you can ask really good questions of the person ahead of you to create clarity if they're not giving it to you automatically. You know, sir, I really want to make sure I do this well. Can I ask you a couple of questions first? Yeah. I mean, and, and what's, what boss doesn't love to have that? Right. And that's such a great, and I think everyone should feel empowered to do that because you're right. That every boss loves that. You're yes. getting, they're not going to be annoyed by that. And if they are, they, that won't last long or they're just maybe not the type of- Or you won't last long with that boss. Yeah, right. Yeah. You'll find a different place. That's right. Um, you're right. No, that's, that's great. So let's get into a quick lightning round. Yes. Gavin, at, right. in the, at the very end here, I, I'd love to know what is one habit- routine, ritual that in your life has made the biggest positive difference? Reading. I know it's a boring answer. You know, readers are leaders, leaders are readers, whatever. I, but I'll tell you, man, reading expands your empathy. It expands your understanding of the world. It expands your perspective of others. I think it's the most important thing I've ever done. So I always ask this as a follow-up. What, how do you find time to read? Or do you, and kind of with that, is it, are you more of an audio book? Hard copy book. Mm-hmm. I'm an audio book on stories, memoirs, uh, anything like that. I I'm a physical book guy on things that are leadership, intellectual driven, framework driven because I want to take some notes and really dig through it. Um, but I learned to read quickly. I mean, I I finished my doctorate last year, and you can't go through those kinds of educational things without learning to read for for content. Mm-hmm not for words. So I learned to skip the examples and the stories. You know, you can get through things a lot quicker and glean everything you need to glean. Um, And so I do a lot of that too. Pulling out the meat. Yeah. I, I, that's actually, I've never thought about that of having kind of a audio books for stories. Cause that, cause I do struggle when I try to do audio books for like personal growth, leadership books. I, I feel like it, it, I don't retain as much. And I also miss out on the notes and the kind of synthesis that I like to do. That's I also really have helpful. no problem putting a book down. Hmm. If I'm, if I'm two chapters in and, and I'm feeling like this could have been a blog post that we turned into a book, I have no problem with not finishing it. Yeah. Which I know some people do, but I'm like, I'm no, that's I've already paid for it. It's a sunk cost at this point. So <laughs> water under the bridge. Well, hey, there's so many good books out there. It's like I'm like I'm not gonna waste my time. Exactly right. There's there's more that I could read. What is your top marriage or relationship advice? 
<laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Top marriage religion. I've been married 25 years, barely over 25 years. Um, I'll tell you, this will sound a little spiritual, but um, we really need others in our life, but we can never get what we need from others in our life. Um, I think that's where I see relationships and marriages go south the fastest because the people on the other side of you are ill-equipped to fill your tank. Um, I think God can do that, but no one else can. So when we expect our spouse to give us everything we need, we are setting them up for failure. That's really good. How's that for a sermon? No, that's so good. I, I've Tim Keller has talked about that some, and I've really appreciated how some some people expect too little out of marriage, and some people yes. expect too much, and that, yes. that really. I have been known to make my wife an idol and, and to expect her to meet all of my, you know, yes. needs that I should be bringing to God, or I should be kind of working on maybe in community or in myself. Right. So that's that's great. Uh, well, not that we should have zero expectations, right? I mean, we we say vows when we get yeah. married. There are some expectations. However, our love is not contingent, and so learning to love someone without an expectation of reciprocation—that's really important. Because yeah. you stop keeping score, right? You begin to do for others, not because they can do for you. Yeah. You do you, you you do for them because of what has been done for you. It's a very different way to do it. Best marriages I've ever seen, though, are the ones that look that way. Yeah. What is your top parenting advice? <laughs> Don't be fair. I've got four children. My oldest is twenty-one, and my youngest is thirteen. They all have very distinct personalities, even though they came from the same two people, which is odd. And I think it's, um, we're always tempted to parent every kid the same, but we would never want to be parented the same. So finding out what really helps and drives and motivates and teaches and coaches each kid uh, and leveraging it that way, never trying to make it fair, trying to make it as best as you can for the individual that's in front of you. One more thing too, and gosh, never parent the child in front of you parent the adult that will one day leave you. Ooh. Our goal as parents is not to modify their behavior for today. Our goal is to teach them and coach them so when they leave us, they are adding value to the world around us. And we can only do it when we start when they're little. But we got to think with the end in mind. That's so good. Oh, wow. What is, who's one leader that and I'm sure you interact with a lot of great leaders. We already talked about Andy and right. maybe it's him. Uh, <laughs> who is one leader that you go to in your mind? Maybe it's a, someone you've interacted with. Maybe it's even someone you've read about or haven't interacted. Yeah. Like who, who's kind of like someone who you comes to mind that you really respect more than others. Yeah. Um, Andy is unbelievable. He'd be an easy answer for this. And I could, I could say him, I've got 10 years of up close and personal, but there's another guy in our organization that you've never heard of. Um, his name is Lane Jones. Lane Jones is one of the original founding pastors with Andy of North Point 25 or so years ago. Lane is unbelievably insightful on organizational health. And he is the person who helps me the most think about what I'm seeing and what I'm wanting to do or feeling should be done amongst the global organization that I'm working within. Because none of us can make organizational decisions that don't have a, a butterfly or a ripple effect. And so Lane has a unique ability to understand what the ripple might look like. 
And so you'll never, you've never heard of him. He, he co-wrote some books with Andy. You can look him up. Um, he wrote about communicating and preaching for change, but he's an incredible human and leader. That's, I love that. Uh, what is the best advice you've received? Huh? Okay. You know, I think the best advice I've ever received is that to not forget that I'm the CEO of my own experiences. I think sometimes we feel like we are a victim of the things that are happening around us, but we're not. We, we control the chapter of the book that we're writing right now. And if we don't like the book, let's just write a different book. Like, that we ultimately are the CEO of our own experiences. Now, that's not a license to go and just do whatever you want, regardless of who it will affect or the damage that it will occur, because we're called to live a life worthy of the calling. Like we're called to live a life where others are more important than us. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you're the CEO, so you know, just do whatever you want. But within, the, within a healthy context, if we don't like something that's happening, we can change it. Mm. We can go back to school. We can get out of a, you know, a dating relationship that's toxic. I mean, there are, there are things that we can do that we can get control over. So instead of being focused on the things that are, that we don't have control over that are trying to control us, what, what do we have control over? And let's be the CEO of those things. That's really great. Well, Gavin, this has been awesome. Uh, as we're last minute here, tell us about where people can find you, where people can kind of learn more about you if they want to follow your work, which is just incredible, by the way. I love your blend of you know your experience. You've had this awesome experience in the marketplace. You've led an incredible church, and you're, but you're also someone who is uniquely gifted in taking concepts and putting them in frameworks and making them practical. So I just... I'm so pumped that we were able to connect today and I'm so excited to continue to follow your work and learn from you. Uh, so tell us where people can connect with you, where people can follow your work. Sure. That's very, that's very kind, Cal. Thanks for saying that. I, um, I really do try to um, make things in, in insanely practical because we have lots of content. We're not shy on content, but we are at times shy on application execution. Um, leaders often make great decisions. It's the execution that sometimes gets us, gets us hung up. So, uh, well, the, the easiest way is simply Google. <laughs> thank, thank, thank us. Thank God for that. Just Google Gavin Adams. That'll probably, the first thing I think comes up is Transformation Solutions. That's the company that I run where we work, we basically coach ministry and marketplace leaders on uh, implementation of decisions because decisions always bring change or transitions or in some cases, full transformations where we're reinventing the future. And so doing that really well is complicated. So at Transformation Solutions, our website is just mytransformationsolutions.com, but you can Google my name, Gavin Adams, that'll get you there as well. That's awesome. And, and everyone out there listening, I'll put links to that in the show notes of this episode. Gavin, I know you're heading off to a vacation. I, I wish you the best. Thanks so much for taking some time today to, to spend this with us. And we, I know people learned a lot. So I know, I know I did. So thanks so much for being on today. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gavin Adams. So many great takeaways. One of the things I get to do after I record these interviews, is I get to go back through and typically listen to them multiple times. And I feel like one of my jobs at the end is to summarize what I think are some of the key points. So here are just a few things that really stood out to me. And we talked about what do you do practically if you're a leader and you just take over an organization. And Gavin said, the first thing you have to do is, is get clear in your mind a vision of a preferable future. And a couple thoughts on that. I think that means 
one, you as the leader have to have that clear vision in your mind or else you're not going to be able to communicate it. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're sitting in a room and just coming up with a vision, but you collectively with your leadership team, with some mentors with some coaches, call me if you want some help, come up with a vision and then communicate that vision to your team and then figure out what is the next right step. And I love what he said about incremental changes lead to incremental wins, which add to, or which eventually add up to moving in a certain direction. And that's how you get to where they were from 250 to 8,000 started with a vision and then incremental wins and celebrating those wins over time led to where they are today. He talked about growth. He said the fastest way to stunt your growth as an organization is to assume that you're the smartest person in the room. You want a lot of people around you. You want diversity of skill sets with a homogeneous set of values and a single view of culture. I also loved what he said about Andy Stanley. He talked about how it looks so easy. And if you've ever watched or listened to Andy Stanley, he's such a great communicator and it looks so easy and effortless for him, but getting a little little view behind the curtain so much preparation goes into that. He even prepares for meetings rigorously. So that's what, what a great lesson. That makes me think about what General Work said a few episodes ago about remarkable performance is preceded by unremarkable preparation. In other words, you don't see the preparation. You just end up seeing the incredible results, but don't be fooled. It takes a lot of preparation. And sometimes I think that the more talented you are, the more you might think that you don't need to prepare. But I think we all know that those who perform at the highest levels put in the time up front. I loved what he said about not burning out, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. And the idea that you have to model that for your team. I thought that was really great. I liked his perspective on delegation, that delegation is a leadership development strategy and it helps you keep great leaders. Because if you're not giving power and authority and decision-making to subordinate leaders on your team, they're not going to want to be there very long because if they're truly leaders and they have incredible potential, they're going to go find some other organization or some other team that's going to let them lead. And so we have to get delegation right in order to have great leaders on our team and in order to develop future leaders. And I loved his four, de- four levels of delegation investigation, informed progress, informed results, ownership. It's all about having clarity, common language on your team. So go try that. Let me know what you think. Friends, thank you again so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. I don't take it for granted. I'll see you next episode. In the meantime, remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.